So you guys have been in a series called on intentional life decisions that allow life to work. Like what works? And so you talked about faith, you talked about community, you talked about forgiveness. Today I want to talk to you about being intentional about living with a servant's heart. Using our power to equip and uplift people instead of using our power and resources to hold them down. And, and, and I want to give you a specific image. Um, so I've, I have an image this morning and an image tonight, and there'd be two different images, but hopefully they'll stick with you. I want to do this by looking at Jesus's trial. And, and I want to examine uh, this in obviously intentional life decision Jesus made. The way Jesus saw the world, the way Jesus saw God, the way Jesus applied scripture is a movement called Christianity. It's not about other things. This is, Jesus gives us these insights into how he saw the world, how he saw God, how he applied scripture in these moments that obviously under great stress would have taken some intentionality to choose beforehand how he's going to act. So this is, uh, this is Luke 23. Um, this is Jesus in front of Pilate. Uh, and then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes the payment of taxes to Caesar, and he claims to be Messiah, which, by the way, in our world means he's claiming to be king, right? So the, I want to make a, just a quick point here. They're not... They're, they're, they're not trying to get Pilate to kill him because of blasphemy, as if Pilate would have cared about that. They're, they're trying to get Pilate to kill him because of treason. He's, he's trying to, he's claiming to be a different king than Caesar. You don't want that. You don't want Caesar sending the whole military here to sort this stuff out. Like, hey, hey this guy's claiming to be a king. So Pilate just asked Jesus, well, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, well, you've said so. Like, I love Jesus's sort of softness there, like, Bo, this is your world. I'm in your court. I am whatever you say I am. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest in the, in the crowd, well, I don't find a basis to charge this guy. Like, you're, you're claiming that he's a rabble rouser, rallying people up. He seems to be a person of peace to me. And he started in Galilee and came all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When they learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, on the surface, this story doesn't make any sense. Here's what you got. You got the, you got the top guy in the whole region getting out of bed at midnight to hear one complaint about one guy. That doesn't make much sense. At the, uh, the uh, Sky City Grand Hotel, and you went and knocked on her door at midnight because you had a problem with your neighbor. And you're like, Miss Ardern, I'm sorry to bother you. It's midnight, but I have a problem with this guy. And Miss Ardern says, yeah, yeah, come on in. Let's hear it. This is what's going on here. The top, like how long would it take you to get a trial to the Supreme Court of New Zealand? Very long. Not here. This guy gets his door knocked on at midnight, by the way, and Pilate, the top guy in the whole thing, gets out of bed to hear this one complaint about this one guy. And then he finds out the guy's actually from Galilee, which isn't in Pilate's jurisdiction. So he's like, we got to get Herod involved. I don't want to cross Herod. There's all kinds of stuff going on here, which leads me to some questions. Now, if I have questions, you should have questions. So I'm going to let you in on the questions I ask here because it's like, well, wait a minute. Hang on. So let's, let's look at some questions now. Next slide. So if Jesus' main message was to believe in him in order to go to heaven, why, why, why kill him? Like, like if Jesus' message was to take care of the poor, like why kill him? Like if Jesus' main message was, those of you who don't have, I want you to share with those of you who do. That's not worth killing somebody over. Or if Jesus' main message was, hey, I want you to believe in me so you can go somewhere else. That's also not worth killing somebody over. Health. 
Like, if you really want him dead, why do you need Pilate to do it for you? Like, surely there was some contingent of underground Jewish mafia sort of folks that they could have lured him into a back alley and sorted this out. No, do it. And they need Pilate to do it in the middle of the night, which is interesting. And for why are both Herod and Pilate even in Jerusalem? That doesn't make any sense. They both lived in Caesarea, but on this night, they find themselves in Jerusalem, and on this night, they both are willing to get out of bed at midnight to sort out one problem about one guy. Why? That, none of that makes any sense. So I'm going to try to make it make sense. And then we're going to look at what's happening in us right now because of what happened. Now, to understand this, we have to understand the rule of Rome. Okay, so <clears throat> this will be a brief caricature, but it'll get to the point fairly quickly. So there's this guy named Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar ruled the whole world. He claimed to be God in flesh. He was a very busy guy. He also invented the salad. Brilliant. He gets saved by his great nephew, a guy named Octavius, from behind enemy lines in Gaul, which is modern day France. He's so impressed by this that he adopts his great nephew, Octavius, to be his adopted son so that he could be the next leader. Well, in 44 BC, uh, Julius Caesar gets killed by being stabbed in the back by his best friend, a guy named Brutus, right? And so this sort of hurt his God claims. The idea is, is that if you were actually God, you probably should have saw that coming, right? And so Julius Caesar dies, and then Octavius takes over and takes on the name Caesar Augustus, right? So at Julius Caesar's funeral, this is unbelievably coincidental, but it carried all kinds of power. At Julius Caesar's funeral, it says that a strange star appeared in the sky, and it was so big and so bright that it lit up the day and night sky for seven days. Now, they know today what it was. It was a comet that came so close to Earth that it lit up the day and night sky. They've actually named that comet Caesar's Comet. So if you just Google Caesar's Comet, it'll tell you where this comet is in the universe at this point using all the software available. But at those days, picture, think about yourself as some primitive person and the guy who says he was God is now dead and at his funeral, a strange star appears in the sky and then shoots off. So what, what Octavius did is Octavius jumped on this. He said, see, that proves my dad was God. First of all, not his dad, right? That proves my dad was God. And since my father was God, that makes me the son of God. And if I'm the son of God, then I should be worshiped. And this has been confirmed by giant stars appearing in the sky. Is this sounding familiar to anybody? So what Caesar Augustus did is he has to get word from Spain to India that his deity has been confirmed by a strange star. Here's how you do that in the Roman Empire. You print it on money because money gets around the empire and you could put the messaging from the empire on the money. I have a picture of this coin. This is just the Caesar Augustus star coin. So this is the Caesar Augustus star coin. You can see that Caesar Augustus on the left. That's the head side. The tail side is a giant star. And around that giant star that says God saves us or God our Savior. Caesar Augustus, God our Savior. So, so can you see like where wise men from the east come and they say, where is the king of the Jews? You don't want word getting back to Caesar that there's a new king who's confirming his deity with giant stars. Remember there's this one time, they're trying to trick Jesus into treason and they say, hey, 
what do you say about paying taxes to Caesar? Remember Jesus' response? He's like, I don't have a coin on me. I just don't have, anybody got a coin, right? And so somebody goes, I have a coin. And they have a first century private detective in the reeds with a first century video camera, you know, video and the thing. And, and it says, and Jesus goes, whose image is on the coin? And they say, oh, well, Caesar, Caesar's image is on the coin. He says, right, right. Well, wait a minute. In Jewish culture, what was the second command? Don't ever have idols. Jesus goes, wait a minute. I would keep Caesar's what is Caesar's, but I would render to God what is God's. In other words, you're trying to trick me, but you're the one carrying around the image of someone that says he's God. I would watch my heart in this, right? So render under Caesar. This is like rabbi kung fu. Right? This is like that, that kind of stuff. So there was a civil war. And the civil war centered around who was going to rule. So it was between, it was between Julius Caesar and Pompey. And, and so the, the, the king of Israel at the time was a guy named Herod. And, and Herod chose Julius Caesar's side. This was a good thing so, so because Julius Caesar won. And so, so when Caesar Augustus took over the empire, he honored Herod by just allowing him to be king. And when Herod, when Herod died, he just divided the Jewish kingdom into three parts and gave it to Herod's three surviving sons, Archelaus in the south, Herod Antipas in the middle, and Philip at the north. That's why in the north of Israel, there's a place called Caesarea Philippi, literally a city built for Caesar by Philip. This guy's like, notice me, notice me, notice me. Herod Antipas was in the Galilean region, and he was known as the fox. So remember in Luke, it says, hey, Herod's looking to kill you, Jesus. And Jesus says, you tell that fox exactly where I am. And then in the south, there was a guy named Archelaus. Archelaus made such a mess of the southern region that Caesar banished him to Gaul and replaced him in 23 AD with a guy named Pilate. Yes, that Pilate, which leads me to this question. Why was Pilate in Jerusalem? Well, this weekend that he's there is something called Passover. What's Passover? Well, Passover is a yearly celebration that the Jews do every year, celebrating God's will to free them from any power that is oppressing them. Can you see the problem here, right? So Caesar tells Pilate, I'm going to put you in charge, and your only job is to keep those maniacs from rioting. No riots, no uprisings, no messianic uprisings, no new king talk. Just go in there and make sure these maniacs don't riot. But he lived in Caesarea on the Mediterranean Sea. Well, if Passover is happening, Pilate's got to go down to Jerusalem. Why? Here's what Passover was. 500,000 Jews getting together in unison, singing songs about their God's will to free them from the oppressors. Can you see where that might be an environment that is conducive to a riot? Like, how comfortable would you be if 500,000 people of a different religion got together in Auckland and were singing songs about their God's will to free them from you, right? That is a little unnerving, right? And so that's what Passover was. Passover, 500,000 Jews singing songs about their God's will to free them from you. So Pilate went to Jerusalem every Passover. And he did so by riding the biggest war horse in the Calvary. So he had this giant war horse and he would lead the troops in, and he would lead him in with something called an aquila. It was a big eagle on a stick. That was the Roman aquila. It was a giant eagle on a flag stick because eagles on flag sticks are the global sign of military dominance when you're occupying another country. It's used by a certain country today, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right? So 
you, it, was, it was also, by the way, used by the Nazis. So if you look at old Nazi films, and they, this was a universal symbol. So Pilate come in with his Roman Aquila, and here was the rule. You can sing whatever you want to sing. I'll praise you in the valley and in the heartbreak and in the hilltops and for you are good, right? Or this is my state of my... Okay, so you, you, can sing, you can sing whatever you want to sing. But when Pilate stopped and extended the Aquila, you had to stop singing and acknowledge the only reason I'm allowed to sing is this guy. This, this dominance of the Roman... By the way, Herod um, got terrified of the Roman Empire one time and to show... His loyalty, he put a giant eagle over the top of the temple in Jerusalem, declaring even the Jewish God bows to the authority of Rome. Four overzealous rabbi students climbed up and tore it down, and they burned them alive. The eagle on a stick was this infinite sign of dominance. We use our power to dominate you. See, this story isn't just about Pilate and Jesus. This is a story about me, and it's a story about you, and it's a story about singing songs that declare our freedom, but going to bed at night knowing there's an eagle on a stick that still dominates us. It's that. It's, hey, sing whatever you want, but you know that worry still has you. You know that fear still has you. You know that rejection still has you. You know... You know that poverty still has you. You know that lust still has you. You know that anger problem still dominates you. This is a story not just about Jesus and Pilate. This is a story about me, and it's a story about you. And it's a story not just about the forgiveness of sins, but Jesus' intention to set us all free here now today from that eagle on a stick that dominates us. So Pilate would come into Jerusalem every Passover. Why is Pilate and Herod there? Well, it's Passover. You've got to keep these maniacs from writing. So this is a, a very rustic sort of map, but it'll do for our purposes uh, today. So um, you can't really see the... T- so Pilate lived up there by that blue light. He, he lived way up there on the sea. And he would, he would come down into Jerusalem riding a war horse. And he would come in through the left. See that dark spot over the left? That's Gehenna, uh, quite uh, literally hell. So he would, he would ride his war horse through hell into the gates. And, and that's where the army barracks were in the top left. So on, on the day before Passover, Pilate would come in riding his war horse. Everybody say with some all blacks gusto, war horse. Everybody, so Pilate would come in riding his war horse through hell. Jesus, on the other hand, he came in from the compass. And that's the Mount of Olives. There's a road that goes there. And he, he would come in through the Mount of Olives, which, by the way, is a giant cemetery. And he would enter into the temple that way. But Jesus was riding a donkey. Everybody say donkey. So Pilate comes in through hell riding his war horse, and Jesus comes in riding his donkey. What's in a cemetery? Stones, lots and lots of gravestones. So, so that's the Mount of Olives. It's not really known for its olives. It's the world's biggest cemetery. Like there's just miles and miles of stones, and the ground's too hard. You can't bury people. So they bury them above ground in these stones that they're that dome. That's Micah's tomb. This is old, old stuff. Like this is, they, they, they charge people a premium to be buried there because they said when God returned, he would establish his kingdom from love. So they, they, charge, they charge people a premium to be buried there. The idea is at the return of God and resurrection, you'd have the shortest walk into the city. So this is, uh, that's, that's the, they, see how they're just buried above ground in the, in the thing there. And, and so there was this road, see where the buses are now? That's a modern road. In Jesus' day, that was the road he came down. So down through hell, riding his war horse. 
Jesus comes down through the Mount of Olives Cemetery where there's lots of stones. Everybody say stones. Ready? Go. Stones. Jesus comes through the Mount of Olives Cemetery where there's lots of stones riding a donkey. Riding a donkey. So let's, let's scriptures and see if this opens it up for us. This is Luke 21, 37, and 38. Each day, Jesus was teaching in the temple. And each evening, he went out to spend the night on a hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning. Now, that's a great way to get some solitude, right? If people are overwhelming you, one from them is to camp out between the tombstones, right? It's like, I need to see Jesus right now. Well, he's camping out in the cemetery. Go check that out. Jesus. Now, we'll wait till morning. That's how that would have worked. This is, um, this, is, uh, this is from the book of Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king is coming to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, what's going on here in Hebrew is something called a redoing, is they're only quoting half the prophecy so that everybody listening will quote the rest in their head because they'd memorized all of it. Like, that's one way to get around oppression. Like, it'd be like if, if we weren't allowed to quote scripture, but the people oppressing us didn't know scripture, that he, and then I would just stop, and then in your mind you'd go, he gave his only, but right, right? So it, it was that kind of thing. They did this all the time. So Matthew's quoting half the prophecy. Let me show you the whole prophecy. This is from Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king is coming to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's the part that gets quoted. This is the next sentence. And I will take away the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And a battle bow will be broken. He'll proclaim peace to the nations. He'll extend his rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Do you see what Matthew's doing here? He's like, hey, when you see the guy coming in on a donkey, that's the beginning of the end of the guy on the war horse. Like, this is stuff going on. Like, you can't say that out loud or you'll die. But Matthew's like, I got this. And remember what Zechariah said? The guy on the war horse, this is the beginning of the end of him. This is the day Pilate comes in on a war horse and Jesus comes in on a donkey riding through a cemetery. This is... um. Uh, Luke 19, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, stop, the road goes down the Mount of Olives through a cemetery. What's in a cemetery? Stones, stones. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory to God in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Rabbi, rebuke your, what are, you can't have them singing that loud, Pilate's right there. If he hears us, we're all dead. Rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If they keep quiet, then the stones will cry out. Where's Jesus? He's at a cemetery. What's in a cemetery? Yeah. This isn't. I've heard people go, you better get your praise on. If you quit praising, that road will start singing. That's, that's creepy, right? <laughs> I know Jesus, Jesus is in a cemetery. Essentially, he's like, hey, it's my time, and either you're with me, or we'll have a bad episode of The Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hang out here at night. They, they like me. It's, it's, it's your, your choice. 
Now, what do we do with this? Pilate comes from Caesarea down through hell, riding his war horse. Jesus comes from Bethsaida to Bethpage through the Mount of Olives Cemetery, riding a donkey. What do we do with this? Because that's, that's what happened. But by far the more important question is, what are we going to do with what happened? What's happening in me right now because of what happened? And how does Jesus teach us here a way he saw the world that we have to believe is the best way? Jesus is intentional about living the life of a servant, always using his power to equip and hold up people and promote others versus Pilate who's using his power to oppress. One has an aquila to dominate. The other allowed his hands to be nailed in order to redeem the whole broken story. This isn't just about the forgiveness of sins, although I honor that and so does everybody here. This is about a fundamental way of seeing the world. If we get a little bit of power, do we use that to dominate people or do we spread out our arms and say, how can I use my power to serve you, to bless you, to equip you, to promote you. What works is how Jesus saw the world, how Jesus saw God, how Jesus applied scripture. And for us today, that means intentionally waking up every day with a servant's heart. How can I use my resources, my gifts, my power, my energy to equip and promote others? Or I can use my power, my energy, and my resources to oppress others. The choice is ours. What works is the servant's heart. Let's put some language around this. Here's an application for us. There's two ways to build your life. As a ruling empire or as a humble servant. There's two ways to get where you're going in life. You could rule or you could serve. There's two ways to get where you're going in life. As an oppressor or as a liberator. There's two ways to build your life. There's two ways to be a wife, two ways to be a husband, two ways to be a parent. There's two ways to lead your ministry. There's two ways to do it. You could do it from the gates of hell, or you could do it from the entrance of heaven or the house of God. There's two ways to build your life, on the back of a war horse or on the back of a donkey. You could be a war horse or you could be a donkey, your choice. What works is intentionally choosing every day to live your life and build your life from the back of a donkey. What does that mean? It means using your energy, your resources and whatever power you have to lay it down to promote others, equip others, empower others. Heck, the name of the whole church is Equippers. You can't Equippers if you're using your power to hold people back. If you got that eagle on a stick, this, this isn't, Jesus is like, yes, I'm going to forgive sins here, but it's going to be so much bigger than that. I'm going to set people free from that eagle on a stick everywhere. How do we do that? Jesus showed us fundamentally how to use power. The best use of power is when power is laid down to serve others. It's, he came in on a donkey. And, and let me just point out something that's obvious. The only reason we know the name of the guy on the war horse is because of the guy on the donkey. Eventually, the names on war horses, they come and go. Guys that build their life. People who build their life from the back of a donkey. How? Waking up every day intentional. How? Okay, I've got this gift, this resource, this power, this energy. How can I use that to equip, to serve, to, to, to promote others? Or can I use it to oppress them? You can always be a war horse. There's always a better choice. A donkey. 
Let's be very specific. There are two ways to handle conflict. You can be a horse. There's always donkey. Let's be pretty specific. There's two ways to handle it when your husband leaves his underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time. There's horse. Where are you? But there's always donkey. Oh. Look. My sweet, integrous, respectable man of honor. A guy that would gladly die for all of us if an intruder came in tonight has left his nasty, stinking underwear on the ground. But you know what? Because he'd gladly die for all of us. I'm going to just pick those up. We'll call that even. There's always donkey. Now you guys pick up your nasty drawers, huh? And light a match every now and then. You're disgusting. There's two ways to handle it. When your wife falls asleep too early. Are we real enough? People say, Shane, you got to hit them right where they live. Okay. There's war horse. Get up. I have needs, woman. Which always will get met with such an incredible response. There's always donkey. Oh. The sweet, beautiful mother of my children is tired. I'll let her rest now. You always go further in life as a donkey and not as a war horse. There's two ways to handle it when someone cuts you off in Auckland traffic. One of the great cities of the world who whoever designed the roads thought no one would ever show up. A city of two million people without a highway to the airport. Who thought of that? Someone cuts you off in Auckland traffic. You can be a horse. Race around them. Point your finger at the sky. Call them number one. Get around them. Bumper sticker, follow me to a Quipper's church. <laughs> Jesus saves. There's always donkey. Oh, those people are in a hurry. And you know, central to seeing the world how Jesus saw it is to consider others better than myself. I'll count them better than me today. There's always donkey. There's two ways to handle tragedy. You could be a war horse. And you could be a donkey. There's two ways to run your business. My way or the highway. Of course, bosses like that, their employees steal from them. Or you can use your power to get up under your employees and equip them and promote them to be better. And your employees will go to hell with gasoline underwear on for you. There's two ways. The way Jesus, the question fundamentally is, do we actually believe Jesus saw the world the best way to see it? Did he use his power to oppress or did he lay his power down to serve? Servant's heart works. It works. Let's say it this way. There's two ways to lead your ministry. You could be a war horse. 
I am the man of God here, my way or the highway. Of course, if you have to tell people you're in charge, you're probably not in charge. I'm in charge of my house. I'm the head. She's the neck. She's just turning you anyway. Like, what? There's always donkey. Be a horse. You can find a way to use that power to equip your children into greatness. There's two ways to deal with disappointment. There's two ways to handle it when things don't go your way. You can panic and be a horse and regret it greatly your actions in two years' time. Or you could stop and intentionally wake up every day how can I use my power here to serve, edify, prayer here? And let's, um, let's cancel the white noise of our week. And I want us to pray a couple prayers in our heart here. First prayer, Lord Jesus, may no one ever reject you because of how I presented you. May no one ever reject you because of how I presented you. Second prayer, pray something like this. Holy Spirit, would you speak to my heart about where I've been a war horse this week? Is there any place I've been a war horse this week? I've used my power to hurt people. Look, I just feel strongly to do this in an attitude of prayer. If you're sitting close to your spouse, just, if you just reach over and hold their hand or touch their leg or something, whatever, just, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. If you're irritated with one another right now, just get over it just for a second. You ladies, if you've been a war horse to your husband this week and you don't want to do that and you're not going to be perfect, but you're going to be intentional about not doing that. I just want you to acknowledge that by squeezing his hand or his leg or whatever you're, and, and just say, that, that's your way of saying, you know what? I'm sorry for being a war horse. I'm not gonna ever be perfect, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to soften how I'm responding. You guys, I just want you to receive that and don't make them talk about it later, just receive that. And you guys, if you've been a war horse this week, I just want you to acknowledge that and say, you know what, I have. And I'm gonna do my best to, I'll never be perfect, but I'm gonna do my best to handle things in a bit softer manner. If that's you, you just squeeze your wife's hand or her leg and that's your way of saying, I'm sorry, I, I'm just going to do this. I, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to sort this out. And I'd ask you, you wives to receive that and not make them explain. Let's just move forward. Holy Spirit, where have we been a war horse this week? Third prayer. Holy Spirit, would your presence go through this place? And would you empower us to use, would you give us the courage? That's the way to say it. Would you give us the courage to use our power in a way that upholds others? Holy Spirit, give me the courage to use my power and resources in a way that uplifts other people. I want to show the world what Jesus looks like. Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your morning. I hope Jesus got bigger, the cross worked better, the resurrection is central, and scriptures got bigger, not smaller. Um, I bless you to see the world how Jesus saw the world, see God how Jesus saw God, and apply scripture how Jesus applied scripture. That's Christianity. May no one ever reject Jesus because of how we're presenting Jesus. May we be brave enough, always using our power to uplift people instead of holding them back. I guess the best way to say it is this. May you be courageous enough
to die to the war horse in all of us and choose to live as a donkey while never, ever, ever being a jackass. Grace and peace, everybody.